On the show today, we have Dennis Berry. Dennis, Dennis is an interesting dude. He is a addictions recovery coach specializing in alcoholism, but any addiction, and he goes right after the root problem and helps you get through by replacing the destructive thoughts and behaviors with constructive thoughts and behaviors. And I really enjoyed talking with Dennis about this one. Uh, he is the host of the Funky Brain podcast. So here's some funky music to introduce him. Put on your space boots. We're rolling in three, two, one. Hello, Dennis Barry. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello. Today? Thank you for being on Operation Tango Romeo. It was so kind of you to have me on your great, big, awesome show, the Funky Brain Podcast, and now I've got you on mine. Reciprocation. So I really am super curious about being an addictions coach. So are there, are there barriers there? Like that sounds like sort of a dangerous place to be because, oh, geez, I don't want to get sued for overstepping my bounds, and I'm not a therapist, and I don't have a, uh, a master's in... Um, in counseling or whatever, you need to be a therapist. So as a coach, uh, is that a challenging sort of spot for you to be? No, I don't find that at all. That is a great question, though. I think that some people do get inquisitive about that. But the idea that there is some differences, and there's definitely some different approaches that that I take, and especially with my clients. And the the like I work with uh, David Essel. He's like, he's my mentor and my coach. And, and the, the work that we do is different than a lot of other coaches. But, uh, you know, our, our goal is really to teach you how to become independent. That's our goal. So, you know, the biggest addiction in the whole world is codependency, other than maybe Starbucks and our iPhones. <laughs> Some people might say those are the biggest addictions. What would you say but, is the definition of codependency? Sorry to cut you there, there. But uh, like, how would you describe codependency? Codependency. Well, there are a, a few different definitions, but one is really like, you know, and I think we all have it. There's some insecurities within us that we look to get filled from outside sources. You know, it's like not being content with ourselves, so we're looking for something on the outside to fill that, and it could be a person. It could be your phone. It could be alcohol or drugs. You know, it, it could be defined in a lot of different ways. Most of the time when we think about it, it's in relationships, you know, a, a partnership, man, woman, man, man, whatever, um, that we just don't want to be alone. So we're with somebody, whether we're, and, and a lot of the codependent relationships we see are unhealthy and unhappy, unfulfilled, and because we don't know how to communicate with each other or to have a successful relationship that keeps us happy, in essence, <laughs> right? So that's really what that is. Um, what was the previous question? I'm sorry, we got diverted there. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, that's my fault. Uh, I'm just uh, asking about the difference between therapy and coaching. Right, right, right. So what we focus on, like a lot of therapists, you know, and I don't want to generalize everything or put anybody down because every every field has their use, right? There, mm -hmm. There's psychologists, psychiatrists, psychotherapists, um, counselors, all, all different types of people. 
Now, a lot of them, they want to focus on keeping you there and be like, let's talk about this. Let's talk about that. And then we're going to come back next week and pick up where we left off. I focus a lot on, you know, given homework and we want to, we want to overcome these hurdles and change your subconscious thinking. So you can become independent as opposed to codependent. So when we say something like that, it's like when I'm meeting with a client, I don't give out answers. If they're struggling with something, they're like, well, what should I do about this? And I'm like, well, let's start asking questions. So you can learn how to find those answers yourself. So you can learn how to become an independent thinker, an independent person, and uh, find out the answers. To, I say a lot in my practice, Google it. You know, if you don't know the answer or something, Google it. Or even better is a YouTube search. If you Google it, you're most likely going to end up with an article or a blog or a website you're going to have to read. And a lot of um, good videos are on YouTube. So nowadays, it's like you don't even have to read anything. Most of your answers to any question you have can be found on YouTube. So I'm like, well, how do I handle this situation? How do I handle my partner here? How do I handle this um, alcohol or drug addiction? Or I'm overeating or, you know, I'm addicted to porn or whatever it is. You know, let, let's try to work and find out, you know, when somebody says, why am I doing this? Well, let's find out why you're doing it. Let's ask some questions and do some homework and get to the root cause of the problem. Because in most cases, the drinking, the drugs, the food, the porn isn't the real problem. It's what I'm using to cope with the real problem, which is my thinking. And most, most of the time, my subconscious thinking, you know, and the beliefs and behaviors I, I formed in the back of my brain 20, 30, 40 years ago that we need to go back in and try to reprogram our subconscious minds to think and believe differently about ourselves and our place in the world. Really got me thinking now. Uh, I wrote a book years ago called Why Not Me? The Keys to Unlock Your Power and Release Your Potential. And if you're going to really break it down, it's constructive thinking versus destructive thinking. Is that part of what you're looking for as you're trying to identify the destructive thinking and replace it with constructive thinking? Can it be boiled down to that? That's beautiful. I mean, I, I love that. I've, I've not heard that uh, comparison before, but it's definitely spot on. Because, you know, the, these beliefs, these patterns of behaviors that we had, and, and it's really amazing how long that we've been doing them. Like we associate them with what's going on in our lives right now, because we're not where we want to be, whether it's our finances or usually it's romance and finance, right? Those are the two big things that we focus on all the time, our relationships and our money. But, you know, health, I want to lose weight, whatever it is, I'm overeating. But if you look at what you're doing, these patterns go back to when I was five years old and I was uncomfortable in my own skin and I was full of fear and insecurity and I didn't know how to handle life. So, you know, I had a candy bar and that took up some time and that got me past that insecurity and fear and stuff. So, you know, you fast forward decades later, I'm still doing that behavior. So... If we can go back and say, instead of having the candy bar now, let's go back and find out where that originated. Why, do, why did I start that behavior in the first place? And I love your analogy because that's destructive behavior. So what can I put in its place now that's constructive? So instead of grabbing a candy bar or a, a pound of cookie dough, <laughs> which I've done 
too um, <laughs> in sobriety because I've been sober a really long time now. So I don't really think about drinking, but I still have that thinking problem. And I, I can grab for something that's destructive instead of constructive. Like I now I can meditate or I can call somebody or I can write something down or read something and, uh, and get past those cravings or those because all those are distractions. All those behaviors, those are distractions from keeping me feeling what I'm feeling. And I know you deal with it a lot with, um, with trauma. Absolutely. You know, trauma, like we go back, yeah, and we relive that, those experiences, whether it's like wartime trauma, sexual trauma, whatever it is you're talking about, we go back and we relive those. And we don't want to. It's just like they play in our head. And instead of feeling that way and live, reliving that, I'm going to go get a beer. I'm going to go get some chocolate. So what can we do instead of that? So I love that. That's a, such a beautiful picture. Constructive versus destructive. Cool stuff. You wrote that book. I did. I did. And that's really what it boils down to. It's identifying. So that's what I was doing with myself. I was getting out of the pit of low self-esteem, uh, climbing out of it by identifying the destructive thoughts and replacing them with constructive thoughts. And really, as a mindfulness exercise, everything that you're doing, if you're spending time on YouTube or Facebook or, or whatever the destructive, unproductive thing is that you're doing, to is to be self-aware and situationally aware to just pause and go, wait a second, is this constructive or is it destructive? Because if you're not mindful of it, then you're just going to do it out of habit. You know, it's, it's about slowing down and being in touch with yourself enough to go, wait a second, and keep yourself in check. Um, like, what's the, uh, the, uh, the definition of discipline? It's the difference between what I want now and what I want the most. And always, and always kind of um, measuring your activities like that. It's like, okay, is what I want now a barrier to what I want the most? Am I really making a choice between the two? Shit, I am. And you almost always are. You know, if you, if you slow down, yeah. it's like, I want this right now. Yeah, okay, but what do you want the most? Because what you want right now is probably keeping you from getting what you want the most. And it's the same. Yeah, and it's really interesting. And I love talking about you. We had such a great talk when you were on my show because it's, you really forced me to think a lot. And I love that. But, you know, what, yeah, what you said is with the slowing down, you know, like we go, we go back into 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day is what the average person has. Now, if all those thoughts were useful, productive thoughts, that would be awesome. But we're talking like really 5% at most are really useful, productive thoughts. The rest of them are distracting, useless thoughts, harmful even sometimes. And you know, we need to slow down. And that slowing down happens throughout the whole day. So it's not just like, all right, well, usually I eat too much at seven o'clock at night. It's like, well, when I wake up in the morning, we need to start with our meditation then and start slowing our minds down right away. If I, if the first thing I do, I open my eyes and I check Facebook and start listening to Metallica, that's how my day's going to go, you know? But if I can wake up and read something constructive, like you just said, constructive, and uh, put my mind in the right direction, that's how my day's going to go. It's up to you. You know, and I, and I also say, like, when I, I like to exercise a lot, and I used to go before the world shut down, 
I used to go to the gym pretty much every day. So when I got to the gym early in the morning, I'm listening to something heavy and hard so I can lift harder and go faster and stronger and longer. Now, if I'm there for an hour and a half or whatever, you know, I need that. I like having that vibe to get me over the hump, to keep going and pushing. But when I leave, like that vibe is over. Like if I keep carrying that vibe into my car, into traffic, and then that's where people are like giving people the finger and like getting mad and then your spouse calls and then you get in a fight. It's because you're carrying that vibe, that angry vibe into your whole day. So we need to like keep our thoughts in check throughout the whole day. And it starts in the morning and at, at, in the middle of the day, if you're worked up and flustered, take a break. Let's slow our brains down again. And in the middle of the day at like four o'clock, let's slow it down again. You know, let's keep on top of it. So when seven o'clock comes along, when I need, when I usually eat all my pound of cookies, I'm already like in this calmer state. What do you right? think are so some of the- it's not just a one time at seven o'clock, I need to meditate. It's like, I should do that all day long. And this is changing your subconscious thinking, which is really in control of how you live your life. What do you think are the biggest barriers to being in that mental state, to being mindful of what is actually going on and mindful of your behaviors and your thoughts? What's one of the biggest or some of the biggest barriers that keeps people from getting to that zone? That's a great question, too. I love talking with you. You're awesome. So, um, you know, some of the biggest ones is definitely our influencers and like you brought up before the show, you we were going to, you mentioned peers, you know, our peers, who we surround ourselves with is pretty much the way our day goes. So, you know, if you, it's that whole, if you hang out with five millionaires, you're going to be the next millionaire. The rule if of you five. Around with five stoners. And if you hang around with five stoners playing Xbox, you're going to get really good at Xbox, right? So the choice is yours, but it's the same thing throughout the whole day when you're at work, who are you surrounding yourself with? If you, are you surrounding yourself with people that suck energy out of you or give you energy? And what kind of energy is that? So if, you're, if people are sucking energy from you and you're overwhelmed and distracted and aren't sure how to get through your day, it's much easier to get a beer and a pound of cookies than it is <laughs> to just kind of like stay productive and and cookies. <laughs> right. But I think that that's a big part of it. The other one I would say, one is like your peers, who are you surrounding yourself with? The second one is what I used to do. And I'm sure you'll understand is marketing. So every time you turn something on a TV, your phone, marketing is designed to tell you, you have a problem and that this product is going to fix your problem. So all day long, we're looking at these things that tell us we have, we're, all these problems we have, we're not good enough, whatever we're experiencing is a problem. And then we need to do this. And then we get overwhelmed because we think we're pieces of shit. So we grab for a beer or a joint or a pound of cookies or Chick-fil-A or, you know, whatever it is that is going to distract us from feeling less than. And that's what we're told every day. And it's interesting that you catch on, um, uh, uh, that you have that, that wherewithal to see that that's what advertising is. Advertising is to tell you that you're screwed. And, uh, and here's, the, here's the solution in a bottle. There's something wrong with you. Here's the solution in a bottle. If you don't have this, you suck, yeah. you know, is more or less. Yeah, than exactly. And they do that whole thing. Like they, their, their job is to convince you that, 
this is a big problem for you. Like in my case, I was bald. I'm bald, right? No. So I started losing my hair when I was like, I know you can't tell. <laughs> but um, my hair started getting thin when I was like 17 years old. And I started watching these uh, commercials. I know like the hair club for men and all these things. And their job is to tell, tell me what a loser I am. And they had all these guys on there with their flowing hair and how much better my life would be if I had hair. So it ruined my life for like 13 years. I went everywhere with a hat. I hid from the world. I became a skier, a chef, and I hid in the mountains because I could wear a hat everywhere I went all year long. And it, it dictated my life because of what I watched there. And you can, anything you turn on, they're there to convince you that you have a problem. Like, let's take, here's a great example that I talk about all, all, all the time, but kale, right? So kale, and this happens with all different types of foods. Kale is, is a very healthy food. You know, it's full of fiber and vitamins and minerals, but is it this super food that everybody says it is? So who do you think made kale the biggest popular superfood that it is? Oprah? The kale industry, <laughs> <laughs> right? No, the kale industry. So they put together these commercials to tell you that kale is this superfood. They did it with broccoli. They do it with a side ju berry juice. Like, like all the things in the world that become popular and trendy, who do you think puts those things together? So they design these things, these programs, these marketing campaigns to make you think you need this product. This product to improve your life. And when you don't use it, then you feel like a failure. So I'm going to go get a beer and some cookies. And the cigarettes that were recommended by seven out of 10 doctors. <laughs> that was actually a thing at one time when we were young. That was. In fact, actually I got one, I, cause I used to be a chef. My mother gave, or my aunt, somebody gave me my grandmother's cookbook that she had from the fifties and sixties. And it recommends a stick of butter every day. That's a lot of butter. <laughs> but that was the fifties and sixties. That's what they recommended that we, our daily intake of butter. Oh my God. You could almost hear the art, the arteries hardening, just thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we spoke before when I was a guest on your show about the link between trauma and alcoholism. We, and as we talk, I'm really realizing that the the route that I'm taking and the route that you're taking is the same. The Because if you're dealing with the roots of um, trauma and, and the mindset around trauma that is the barrier to recovery, it's no different than the barrier to recovery for alcoholism or any addiction. It's this it's the same roadblocks. It's the state it's the same destructive thinking and destructive habits that we have in our life. It's it's all hand in glove. There's really no separating the two. Mm, yeah. And you said a big word there, and that was roadblocks. So when we talk about what it takes to recover, and recovery it can be in, in so many different categories, you know, like I deal with a, a lot of the addiction recovery stuff, but um, it doesn't have to be alcoholism or drugs per se, but recovering from something from that isn't serving me well, some kind of harmful behavior or belief system that is keeping me from getting where I want to be. So when we, what you said was roadblocks. 
And a lot of people are looking for that pill, that magic pill that's going to fix everything. But do we even really want that? Because if I, if I take that pill, it might be that instant relief, but I'm going to go through that problem or that situation again in my life, whether it's in tomorrow or in 10 years from now. And if I take that pill, I'm not going to learn how to get through that. Right. So what we do is we want to teach people how to get through these things, this thing called life, right? And learn how to manage our lives and become independent. And when something comes up, we learn how to manage it and handle it. So when you talk about the roadblocks, which you brought up, the the solution, which is why I brought up that magic pill, the solution isn't to add things, right? Oh, do this to feel better. Let's add this. Let's add this. First, we need to remove the harmful behaviors and beliefs. You know, it's always remove and then add, you know, because we have to remove the roadblocks that are keeping us from getting where we want to be. And then we can add in healthy beliefs and behaviors like the meditation and the, but until like, in my case, it's alcohol or drugs. Until I remove that harmful behavior, I can't add a bunch of stuff on because it's going to be ineffective. We have to first remove the harmful behaviors. Don't you have to uh, remove the harmful the, the harmful ways of thinking before that behavior follows? Yeah, well, harmful beliefs and behaviors. Yeah, so the thinking, right? So the thinking we're talking about is I don't want to feel like I'm a I'm afraid to feel whatever that feeling is. For some people, it's happy. It's like I'm I when I'm happy, I want to get drunk. When I'm depressed, I want to get drunk. When I'm fearful, I want to get drunk. Or in in what you do with the trauma, it's like I'm overwhelmed. I I can't I can't handle this. I'm reliving this trauma that happened to me. So I don't want to feel that. So yes, we have to eradicate our thinking, find out what the root cause is, and then change the way that we're thinking or change our beliefs about what happened to us. You know, find our part in it. Where was our part? And then we have to forgive too. Like forgiving is the most powerful thing that we can do in our lives. And, you know, sometimes it's forgiving ourselves. It's such a huge roadblock. I see it in group two. We, when we talk about forgiveness, it's incredible how difficult it is to forgive. And I have a, a situation in my life right now where I just stumbled across somebody who is a, major, major player in some serious trauma that, uh, um, th- that I have dealt with and are continuing to de- deal with. And, um, forgiving is hard, especially when somebody is, hey. is straight up evil. You know, it is, it is really tough to forgive. Do, do you have any tips or tricks on that? On forgiveness? Yeah, so we actually have a four part, a four part forgiveness process that we blow through and so it's well i shouldn't say blow through that we that we prescribe you know and i go through it with almost all my clients because there's some level of forgiveness involved in every situation and like i said like i just finished up right before you you chimed in there was sometimes we have to forgive ourselves and there's always a forgiveness of ourselves component And if you look at all spiritual and religious practices going back forever, they're all based in forgiveness, you know, and it's a, it's something that if you can latch onto will really change your whole life. 
you know, it, it opens up when I'm not holding on to resentment or anger or blame or accusations of some sort. Now I'm free to, you know, accomplish my goals. So that's why we have to remove those things like resentment and anger and stuff like that. So in our forgiveness process, um, the first part, and, and I do a lot of writing and, and I give a lot of homework with my clients because that's how you learn. Right. That's how we reprogram our subconscious mind. If you think about the way that we think with our subconscious mind, what happened, how our, our minds got programmed in the first place, because we were doing some sort of be behavior over and over and over again every day for an extended period of time. So in order to eradicate that behavior, we need to do healthy behaviors over and over and over again, every single day for an extended period of time. So we do a lot of writing and that's how we reprogram our subconscious mind. So the part of our forgiveness process here is that first we write some, some letters to this person, whether it's me or to the person that abused me or hurt me or to the government or to whoever, that we have this anger towards. And we wanna get all that anger out, all of the resentment. We want, I want this letter to be brutal. Like, I can't fucking believe that this happened. I can't believe you did this to me. I can't believe that we, that this is ruining my life. This is your fault, this is this. And I'm sad and pissed and angry and blah, blah, blah. We need to get all that anger out. And sometimes we need to write these letters for like, a couple months like I work with some people that have been sexually abused really bad as a kid you know and getting that type of anger out I mean that's trauma that's traumatic so getting that anger out that I mean this could have happened 40 years ago so getting all this anger out it could take it's going to take longer than a couple days right so I want to write these letters over and over until that anger until I'm exhausted you know and then we go into part two phase two which is actually forgiving the person or the institution or whatever for that incident or those incidents or that behavior, whatever happened, right? And it's actually, and then we need to write those letters over and over again until we actually feel that. And then we need to look at our part in the situation. Like where, what is my part? Sometimes my part is like, I, cause how, you, how can you say, oh, a five-year-old kid had a part who was sexually abused? How can you say that they had a part in it? So, I mean, there's hard, there's some hard truths to get to, and that, that's a tough one. But, you know, the truth is, it's like, I'm not responsible for what happened to me, but I'm responsible for the rest of my life, you know, whether or not I'm going to be happy or hold on to that. So we need to get to a place, and some of this process can take a week or it can take a year to get through, you know, but it is a, a process that we need to get through. And then... The last piece is what I said earlier. I need to forgive myself. And once I, once we can get to this spot, then we have a chance of truly being happy, you know, and finding love and successful relationships and being successful in business and have that inner peace and then helping other people get to the same spot. I mean, that's really what life's all about, right? The One of the greatest barriers to any kind of recovery, whether it's uh, addiction, trauma, or all the above, is that people are looking for that quick fix. But as I keep saying, recovery is an activity, not an event. 
It's an activity, not an event. You have to do the work. If you don't do the work, you don't get the results. And that's what keeps people from, from doing it. It's like, well, just fix me. Give me my magic pill. It's like, no, that's not how it works. Magic pills don't fix you. It might make you feel better for a little bit, but they don't fix you. You know, you actually yeah, have to the do the work. Yeah. And doing the work is, it's really important. Like that. And, and when I, when I tell people like, all right, here's your homework, let's write this down. And then, you know, they keep waiting for like, when do we get the, when are we going to do this work? Well, this is the work, <laughs> you know, meditating is part of the work. Eating better is part of the work. So when you feel better physically, your brain feels better too. And then you're more capable of getting this work done on a high level. That's going to get you to where you want to be. This is the work. And, you know, in a lot of circles and especially in recovery land, we always say you really need to be willing. And, you know, I'll tell you something here and willingness is nice, but it's not required. You don't need to be willing. You just need to do the work. You know, whether you like force it or yourself not. to do this work in the morning. Yeah. In the morning when you wake up, don't look at Facebook and don't look at what the president is, is or is not doing for you. Meditate instead. Even if you do, if you're not willing to just do it anyway. You know, if you do that for a couple of weeks, you're going to feel better. That's the work. Dennis, this has been a good conversation. Thank you so much for being on here. And it's, uh, it's fascinating to me, the, the world of coaching and all that. And we'll have to continue these uh, discussions again and again. And I think, uh, think we're going to have to have you back for, for some more discussions. That's for sure. But I would love that. Yeah. I really enjoy talking with you. It really, um, we get to some deep stuff and I love that, you know, there's times for fun and then there's times to get deep and then there's a good blend of both too. I like that. Well, thank you for being on the show, Dennis, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Stay on the air. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. 